Lucy. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so, so grateful to have you here with me. And I'm so, so nervous to see what questions you're going to ask. <laughs> yes, I like your nervous. <laughs> that doesn't happen easily. Right, because we were, backstory to the people who are watching, we were talking about what makes a good interview. And we were saying sometimes controversial questions really help, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, definitely. And so I was telling Lacey, don't go easy on me. Like, let's get some really juicy questions <laughs> and answers out. Yeah, I'm so glad you're open for it. Well, you're very controversial anyways, I think, for not a lot of people. Really? No? Not really. Not, no. not for people who value personal growth. Mm. I'm not controversial. I'm controversial for people who are traditionalists, people mm. who are highly religious and think anything outside the confines of organized religion is rubbish. Mm -hmm. People who um, believe in outdated models of viewing the world, you know, like running on the hamster mill of career, um, looking at your life just from the dimension of positions and money. In those scenarios, I'm controversial, but for our industry, not at all. But tell me a little bit more of this backstory. Like, how did you become so like open-minded and like, how did the spirituality come into your life? So what I experienced mm -hmm. was a microcosm of what I think Estonia as a country experienced. So Estonia, and one of the reasons I love this country, is has the highest number of atheists in the world. Mm -hmm. But while Estonia has the highest number of atheists in the world, of any other country I've visited, Estonia has the highest number of spiritual people. I mean, just look at the sheer amount of festivals and events from Mind Valley University to um, the many festivals happening all across Estonia, in Tallinn, in Tartu, all dedicated to topics like Tantra, yoga, meditation. Now, why is that, right? Mm -hmm. It's because religion is spirituality, with dogma and cultural tradition. So religion, if you broke it up into an equation, it's spirituality, it is dogma, and it's cultural cultural tradition. Mm -hmm. So for example, being and praying in church is cultural tradition, celebrating Christmas is cultural tradition, the Muslim month of Ramadan is cultural tradition, and these traditions are beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. They are they are absolutely beautiful. Religion intertwines them with then something called dogma. Now dogma has very little to do with cultural tradition, very little to do with spirituality. Dogma is what the theocrats in Iran are imposing on women. Mm -hmm. Today in Iran, the parliament voted to kill the people who were arrested for protesting, not whip them, not put them in jail, to murder them. Mm. That is dogma at its worst. But even if you look at the Western world, they still exist dogma. In many parts of the United States, it is considered wrong to be gay. That's not spiritual. That's dogma. Dogma is outdated beliefs that are passed on from generation to generation to generation because people do not question. Mm -hmm. And it was the oppressive dogma that led to the reformation of the Catholic Church, that led to branches of Christianity like Lutheranism, mm -hmm. right? And these were all saying, hey, listen, we, we want to get spiritual, but back off with these bullshit rules. Now, Estonia, because of what happened to this country historically, all the way from the Soviet Union uh, invading this country as brutal oppressors and banishing religion, Estonians ended up very atheist, but what they're giving up is not the spirituality. What they're giving up is the dogma. And giving up dogma frees you. It leads to 
It leads to a more accepting society. It leads to greater women's rights. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, when you give up dogma, that's when you can truly be spiritual because you understand that you do not need a mullah or a priest in between you and God. And what is spirituality but finding a way to connect deeper with the divine? Mm -hmm. Estonia is one of the most spiritual countries in the world because it is one of the most atheist countries in the world. But you were growing up more in the religious country, right? Exactly. So what happened to me was a rebellion against religion. Mm. I grew up in Malaysia and I've now left Malaysia. I now live in Estonia. I, mm. I was married to an Estonian and uh, with my former Estonian wife, um, we have two amazing Estonian kids. I'm currently learning Estonian. My children speak fluent Estonian and this is my home. I'm hoping to learn the language enough to get citizenship within the next two years but I identify with Estonia because I became an atheist, a spiritual atheist. Mm -hmm. But to me, it happened because of the religion pounding me mm. and, and brainwashing me mm -hmm. and giving me really outdated, bad ideas of the world. So mm -hmm. I grew up in Malaysia where the national religion is Islam. And Malaysia already lives under two laws. There's Islamic law for the native people who are Malay. And then the people who were brought to Malaysia by the British, these include Chinese migrants, Indian migrants, people from Europe. They live under British common law. Mm -hmm. So I live under British common law. Mm -hmm. But already I can see one really weird effect of the dogma. The country is divided into two. Mm -hmm. And many people who are non-Muslim do not feel Malaysian mm -hmm. because the national religion is Islam. Because if you're not a Muslim, you're a second-class citizen in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so already in Malaysia, the country over the last 20 years was seeing so many people leave and leave. They would move to Hong Kong, to Canada, to the United States. So many people I went to school with are no longer in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. They've immigrated because if you are not the right religion, you are second class. Mm -hmm. Now, combined with that, I grew up in a Hindu family. And growing up in a Hindu family back in the 70s and 80s, again, tons of dogma. You were told mm -hmm. that sex before marriage was considered bad. Mm -hmm. You were told that you had to be vegetarian on certain days. You were told that you, you were made to believe that anything bad you did would come back to you and hurt you as karma. Mm -hmm. I, I remember being in temples, not understanding what the priest was saying, but be, having to sit there with my family, bored out of my mind. Mm. And then in these temples, the men and women were divided, the women on one aisle and the men on one aisle, which again is, to me, doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. I wanted to play with my cousins who were girls. I couldn't because we were in different aisles. Growing up with all of that, I started to question. Mm -hmm. My parents were 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 very open-minded. And one day, what happened was McDonald's opened in the city. <laughs> and I heard rumors of this invention called the beef burger. <laughs> and the McDonald's beef burger was supposed to be the greatest thing that a human being could taste. Now, of course, don't get me wrong. This was like 1987. Mm -hmm. Right now, I would not feed McDonald's to my dog, <laughs> right? But, sorry, that sounded bad to dogs. I would not feed McDonald's to any human. Mm -hmm. But back then, in Malaysia, it was exciting when the first McDonald's opened. Mm -hmm. And so I asked my mom, why can't I eat a beef burger? And mm -hmm. my mom said, because we're Hindu and we cannot eat beef. And I said, well, why can't we eat beef? And my mom said, I don't know. You figure it out. Go do mm. the research. So I went through some encyclopedias. I started understanding about the history of India, about um, the history of the religion. And eventually I, I came to my mom. I think I was maybe eight or nine and I, I had a theory and I said, well, look, I think we're not allowed to eat beef because cows could be useful, right? We could use them for milk. 
uh, we could in, in in houses in the villages thousands of years ago the body of the cow could generate warmth uh, the cow would eat grass so it wouldn't grow very long mm -hmm. and so cows were useful and maybe that's why they didn't eat cows but given today in our house mm -hmm. we don't have a cow we have a dog and a cat I think it's okay for me to eat beef mm -hmm. and so my mom said bravo congratulations you made your own decision go for it and mm -hmm. so I started eating beef because of that freedom my parents gave me to question the dogma I started questioning everything mm -hmm. and when I was 19 I told my dad I'm no longer a Hindu it makes no sense for me to to associate with any one religion. All mm -hmm. religions have stuff that's special and all religions have stuff that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. I wanna tear apart the bullshit, I wanna take what I like and I wanna live life based in my own spiritual principles. And that's what started my journey. Well, that's so beautiful. That's amazing story to hear that your parents were so open because I hear that they're more right. into the religion themselves, right? Well, not anymore. Not my anymore? parents are not are not religious. They're very open-minded. Mm. But I do have a belief that I think is fairly controversial. Mm -hmm. I believe no parent has a right to indoctrinate their children into their religion. Mm -hmm. I believe that is a form of child abuse. Mm -hmm. But it's a very mature approach, though. It needs a lot of like uh, self-growth and which, understanding. Yeah, to... which means if you're Muslim, you do not have a right to raise your kids as a Muslim. Mm -hmm. If you're yeah. Christian, you do not have a right to raise your kids as a Christian. If you're Hindu, you do not have a right to raise your kids as a, as a Hindu. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is this. You can say, hey, this is what I believe. There are other people who believe this. There are other people who believe this. There are scientists like Neil deGrasse Tyson who believe that when we die, we simply go back to becoming stardust. You choose. Mm -hmm. That is how you raise a child. You do not have a right to raise your child into your religion. This is the reason why so much of the world is so messed up right now. Mm -hmm. This is why this is why American women lost their right to an abortion. It's why women in Iran are forced to wear a hijab. Mm -hmm. It's because of this bullshit idea that age-old dogma has to be passed down from mother to daughter, from father to son. Mm -hmm. Do not, my advice to everyone in the world today is stop this, stop this nonsense. The only mm -hmm. way to teach religion is to teach all religions. Mm -hmm. You can teach people, you can you can explain to your child why you go to church, you can, ex you can celebrate Christmas with your child, mm -hmm. but you cannot force them to be Christian, you cannot force them to be Muslim. That's profound. I, I so appreciate you sharing this because I think it's it's so, so, so wise. But it's also true that it's so hard for so many people. Why do you think that is? Why it's hard? Yeah. It's because people are operating under a false assumption. Just because your parents beat you because it was acceptable to beat a child in the 70s and 80s, are you allowed to beat your child today? Just because your parents forced their religion on you, do you have a right to force your religion on your children? It's, it's not, it's an awakening. Like mm -hmm. adults have to wake up. This new generation that's about to become parents need to wake up to that. Already in our generation, right, we don't care about the religion of someone we 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 marry, mm -hmm. right? I was a Hindu who married, my, my former Estonian wife was Russian Orthodox and Lutheran. Mm -hmm. We didn't care. Mm -hmm. And if we don't care about the religion of the people we marry, because when you fall in love, religion typically isn't a factor. Mm -hmm. Why do we care so much about imposing those same religious beliefs on our children? Shelley Lefko, the child psychologist, uh, said, the only job of a parent is to ensure that the child is growing up with healthy beliefs. That's your only job. Keep your, keep your child safe and ensure that your child is taking on healthy beliefs. But Shelley Lefko also, also said this. She said, 
the biggest basket of of damaging beliefs in the world today comes from religion. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, healthy beliefs can also be very subjective in right. a way, right? It's like, mm. what what do I consider healthy? Like a lot of uh, grown-ups, they can say like, I believe that my beliefs are the healthiest and the best. I believe I believe know. that confessing your sins is healthy. Yeah, I believe exactly. that that not being friends with gay people is healthy. Mm-hmm. I believe that a woman covering her hair is healthy. Well, that's why we also need science, mm-hmm. right? There is no scientific evidence for any of that. Mm-hmm. You need science. You need education. Human beings have a tendency to believe stupid things <laughs> because they were indoctrinated into these stupid ideas as kids. Yeah. And many of these things, which I call are what I call rules, bullshit rules. Mm-hmm. And you got to be smart enough to identify what rules actually are there to help you navigate the world with ease and what rules are there because of bullshit that's passed down mm-hmm. from generation to generation. So bullshit rules, they come from politicians. Right, mm-hmm. especially politicians who make you fear other people to get votes. Mm-hmm. In Estonia, we have the Ekre Party, a disgusting group of people who should ne- have no business in power. Mm-hmm. That's the first one. The second mm-hmm. basket of rules comes from religion, because if you actually go back to history, right, you go back to 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 European history in the fourth century when the German tribes invaded Rome, the the heads of the church needed a way to ally with the German tribes so they so the church was not destroyed. Mm-hmm. So they told the church, okay, you got to embrace these things. So, you, well, they told the German tribes, the Visigoths and the barbarians, you got to embrace these rules and then you'll be okay. And this, this invisible man in the sky is going to protect you. Mm-hmm. And so these rules were instituted then um, around the beginning of the fifth century AD when, mm-hmm. the, when the Roman Empire collapsed. And these rules stayed with us for generation to generation to generation. Europe is starting to come out of it. Uh, many other parts of the world, China, India, uh, uh, the, the, the Muslim world are still emerging from these rules. So that's the second one, that, that's religion. And many of the rules of religion were done for, for political convenience. Now the third basket of, of rules basically comes from media, especially mm-hmm. if you look at media today, especially food advertising. Coca-Cola, I was just passing through the airport in Warsaw, there was a giant Coke machine there. And at the top of the machine, it said Coca-Cola, embrace optimism. (laughs) What has high fructose corn syrup got to do with optimism, Mm. right? This is how media can get us to accept bullshit rules. Mm -hmm. And then there is rules from, and I hate to say it, but a culture. Mm -hmm. Within every culture, they are horrible bullshit rules. And very often these cultural rules emerge from elements of the culture which are corrupt. You look at look at what Putin is doing to the culture in Russia, telling people that Ukrainians are not an actual ethnicity, mm. right? These are cultural and millions of Russians believe this nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final aspect of rules comes from parents and grandparents who just don't know better. Mm-hmm. They were raised with dumb ideas from their parents and grandparents and they are passing it on. And so these, anything that you take on that you that you believe is the way the world works, look at other cultures. If other cultures are not covering their hair, are you sure that what you're doing is what God really wants? Because mm-hmm. God would have to be an idiot. Mm-hmm. 90% of the women in the world do not cover their hair. Mm-hmm. If other cultures do not believe in the idea of original sin, is that what you should believe? So a great thing is to get your head out of the confines of your own cultural identity 
travel the world, look at other cultures and then make up your mind. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just wanted to get there to like kind of sum it up for our listeners is like what tips would you give in general for grown-ups like to identify the rules and find their own way like what works for them so one of the first ways is to is to understand that human beings need an identity like there's this this primitive part of our being where we feel safe and secure when we identify as an identity so we identify as american or estonian or republican or democrat or christian or muslim but there's also a dark side to this in all many of these identity structures they are useful things and they are horrendously like like outdated nonsensical things mm-hmm. sometimes in our desire to identify with an identity we accidentally choose to take on the dark side of these these mm-hmm. identities it's super important to be widely open in your perspectives mm-hmm. so while i am malaysian i also identify as american and identify as estonian by being able to identify with three different cultures oh and also indian i'm able to see what are the identity constructs which are useful and what are nonsensical and there mm-hmm. are certain things about the american identity that i refuse to take on mm-hmm. such as um certain right wing beliefs right like i think the the right to bear arms is just stupid mm-hmm. it's not something that we would we would allow here in europe likewise in malaysia the religious identity i think is is holding so many people back i prefer the estonian type of of atheism mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time there are aspects of estonian identity that i do not like and i prefer the american type or the malaysian type mm-hmm. so you must take on a multitude of you must be able to embrace and play with a multitude of identities and this also applies to religion this is why i say do not embrace one religion mm-hmm. you are actually limiting yourself by having one religion gandhi said i'm a hindu and i'm also a muslim and i'm also a jew and i'm also a christian take on multiple religions mm-hmm. multiple like kind of even like things to identify with exactly but i think it's it's also useful or what, what is your point of view on, and because it's important right that we identify with something like that's yeah. how we kind of operate in the world but what about like identifying with some you know what are they called in english like i'm kindness or i'm love like more you can but here what we're talking about is is societal groups right mm. so you can identify with movements you can mm-hmm. identify with um um for example mindali is a movement mm-hmm. entrepreneurs org is a movement there are many great movements around the ideas of entrepreneurship personal growth and you can easily gain identity from identifying with these movements why these are a superior form mm-hmm. of of identity is because these movements typically are made of great diversity. The Mind Valley movement has people from 70 different countries and pretty much every global world religion. Mm-hmm. What the movement is around is personal growth. And the movement doesn't have one teacher. Mm-hmm. I may have built it, but the movement has 61 teachers. Mm-hmm. And so identities like that are extremely healthy mm-hmm. because of the diversity of viewpoints. Yeah, exactly. I think Mind Valley in this sense is like extraordinary because it's it's one platform or right. even in Mindvalley University that you were holding here in Estonia right now in July right there's so many people from so many different countries yeah. and you just get to experience like all the diversity in like in one space like that's right. that's that's extraordinary thank you for doing that i love it that you're here in Estonia thank you <laughs> that's awesome yeah uh, one thing actually uh, I know Mind Valley. I my first um uh, touch point actually was with Afest. Mm-hmm. Uh many many years ago. Uh I think my first one uh was in Ibiza. 
and I didn't know you back then because you just moved recently to Estonia, right? A right. few years. And uh, I so enjoyed uh, A-Fest, but I think this A-Fest were the first like mm, trials mm -hmm. and the Mindvalley University kind of came out of the A-Fest right. or what, what is the story behind well, that? Well, A-Fest, Mindvalley came out of A-Fest. A-Fest started because I ah, was... Ah, A-Fest yeah. was before the Mindvalley. Oh, really? Exactly, exactly. Mm. A-Fest started because I was living in Malaysia. And Mind Valley didn't really exist back then. Mind, Mind Valley existed as a name. It was a domain. Um, it was a company that did many different projects. We did marketing projects. I built some software. Mm -hmm. And that was Mind Valley. And one of the projects that we built was a um, meditation website. And mm -hmm. another of the projects that we built was a festival. So Mind Valley mm -hmm. was really just like an, uh, an incubator. I was launching different ideas. Mm -hmm. And the reason I started the festival is because I was bored in Malaysia. I couldn't mm -hmm. connect with the I, I wanted to meet brilliant people from around the world mm -hmm. so i thought well since i really love this topic of personal growth what if i started a festival i discussed with some friends and we thought costa rica would be a great place so we rented a beautiful location in costa rica and we got 250 entrepreneurs to come down and it became this incredible thing where people got to connect to meet each other mm -hmm. and i managed to convince some really great teachers some mba lecturers some incredible entrepreneurs like Chip Connolly, who um, of Airbnb and mm -hmm. and and JDB hotels, to come and teach, and it just became a thing. And we had mm -hmm. no idea if it was going to happen again, but it was so successful it began happening again and again mm -hmm. and again, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Three years later, many of the teachers who were speaking at A Fest, I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if I got their, if I created the most beautiful programs with them, and we put them on a single platform. Mm. And we decided to call that platform Mind Valley because it was the name of our holding company mm -hmm. and it had the word mind in it. And mm -hmm. Valley, Valley meant coming together, confluence, like, mm -hmm. like you know, like it, it, it gave the image of a group of people coming close together. Mm -hmm. So Mind Valley became a thing and that was November 2013. Mm -hmm. So the company is exactly, Mind Valley, as we know, it is exactly nine years old right now. Oh, amazing. Nice story. And now the recently the, the last thing then are the Mindvalley universities, right? Yes. So then from AFES, after we had AFES, after we had this, this platform, mm -hmm. I thought it would be really nice to get people from just learning online to learning in person. Mm -hmm. And I decided to try an experiment. I wanted to expose my kids to different cultures. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to move to a city for one month with my children. And I thought if I moved to a city for one month with my children, it's going to be great for the first few days, but then I'm going to get bored mm -hmm. and they're going to get bored because like it or not, your kids want to hang out with other kids. Mm -hmm. Like I want to meet other inspiring adults. And so I put up a post on Facebook and I said, I'm going to move to Barcelona for one month with my children. Any other families want to move with me? And 300 people replied. And so <laughs> I went to my team. And I said, could we rent an entire co-working space in Barcelona? Mm -hmm. uh, and could we turn this into a thing? And they said, okay. And sure enough, 300 people moved to Barcelona. Wow. We rented a co-working space, so people had a place to work, people had a place to have talks. Um, in the co-working space, we, the top floor, we turned it into a school. So the mm -hmm. kids could learn uh, from other kids and parents could come and also teach each other's children. Mm -hmm. And it became a one-month project and it was just so absolutely exciting mm -hmm. that we decided to do it every year. Mm -hmm.
Well, I, I'm so grateful. Like this was my first experience with Mind Valley University yeah. this year. It was amazing. Like next year, it's happening again in Estonia, right? Yeah, we do it in Tallinn. At first, we thought people wanted to experience different cities, but then we realized that no, people care about the community. And Tallinn is where a um, large chunk of my team is based. And so it's mm-hmm. easy for us to do it in Tallinn. Mm-hmm. We do it in Kulturi Katel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, one thing I wanted to touch upon is that when I got to know you personally, it's amazing how we, we talk about this a little bit, but I see you have this win-win attitude in you. Like there's not this competitiveness, like wh- how I see you now that I know you personally also, I see how big heart you have, like you just want to help everybody. Like someone comes to you, you always try to kind of push them, help them, show them right. way, give wisdom. Like where is that coming from? Like has it um, always been the part of you or? No, I just think I just think kindness is a competitive advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Like we attract great talent into Valley because of how we treat our employees. We attract incredible authors into Mind Valley because of how we treat our authors. When you get a Mind Valley membership, it's it's a premium a premium platform. But anybody can get a membership, and if you don't like it, you can within 15 days you can go into your account, just click cancel, and the money goes back to you. Mm-hmm. So you can basically try all of Mind Valley completely open for free for 15 days. We just believe that being nice is a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. whether it is through our authors or the employees we work with or our customers. So that's just, and it's such an easier, nicer way of living life. Mm-hmm. You don't have drama, you don't have enemies, you don't have competition. Our goal is to spread enlightened ideas. So any other company that's helping spread meditation or wellness is not a competitor. They're mm-hmm. also spreading enlightened ideas. And so if we can help them, we help them. Mm-hmm. But that's what, I'm, that's what I'm curious about. Like, how did you get to this point? Because... You see, like there's a lot of competitiveness. It's it's again like this bullshit rule, maybe rule, right? It's like there's competition. Like if there's someone is in your field, it it means like yeah, the competition is on. I have to do better and bigger, or I don't know, like maybe even like put down my competition. Like where did you get this idea, like to really be open and support? I think, I think, it's, it's a world view. So that's mm. a really good question. I think it's a world view. I think being competitive in the world is necessary in some ways. Mm-hmm. If you are winning, if you're aiming to win at a particular Olympic spot and there's only one gold medal, sure, like be be competitive, but you're being competitive with sportsman-like behavior, right? Mm-hmm. You will congratulate the person who, if the, another person wins the gold, you're gonna congratulate them. You're not gonna curse them under mm-hmm. your breath. With business, I think what happens is that people take competition too seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and and I know that this happens often because they are pushed by investors or they are aiming for a particular revenue target and the competition is stealing away their revenue and crazy stuff like that can happen. But I, I don't see business like that. Mm-hmm. I've always built businesses out of joy. I like doing things I love. And I build businesses out of a sense of mission. I want to spread enlightened ideas Mm -hmm. and that's really what mind valley is about it's helping this wisdom go mainstream so when you're running a business based on mission and you're running a business based on doing what you love competition becomes less of a thing Mm -hmm. yeah you're more concentrated on getting i'm concentrated on having fun (laughs) like if (laughs) if i didn't have fun doing what i did i wouldn't Mm -hmm. be doing what i did because life is too short i'm almost like i'm i'm gonna be 47 soon i don't want to waste 
you know, the, the last few decades of my life working 70, 80 hour weeks. Mm -hmm. I want to do only what I love doing while making an impact in the world. Mm -hmm. But uh, we were like touching the same topic. You were telling me uh, this concept about uh, win, 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 lose, lose, lose. Right. Like, can you touch oh, a little yes, bit on yes. that? Uh, th this is an idea I learned from one of my spiritual mentors, Dr. Barry Mogollon. He said they are um, four types of people in the world, and mm -hmm. you've got to learn to identify them, right? The first is win-win. These are the best people to work with. They want you to win, mm -hmm. and you want them to win. So in many of my business partnerships, um, it's it's so interesting. I have business partners where, where as we are, so I recently acquired a company, um, Lifebook, and I was talking to my business partner there, John. His name is John, and as we are as we are bringing our companies together, he is fighting for great terms for me, and I'm fighting for great terms for him in the contract, mm -hmm. and we are both win-win, mm -hmm. and we both live in this absolute abundance, and so he's like the ideal business partner. Mm -hmm. Now the second group is win-win, but occasionally forgets. Mm -hmm. So these are people who are typically win-win, but sometimes due to stress, maybe due to uh, whatever they're going on in their life, they may forget to be win-win. Mm -hmm. You can still do business with them, mm -hmm. but you want to remind them when they are forgetting to be win-win, mm -hmm. right? So an example could be um, someone you hire and you have an agreement, you're going to pay this person this salary, they have to do such and such and such, but maybe they go through a really stressful time and their work slips mm -hmm. and you're still paying them the salary, but they're not delivering what they promised. You've got to bring it up with them. Like, hey, this is what we agreed. And I know it's not your character. It's whatever you're going through in life right now. Maybe you're, they're recovering from an illness. Maybe they're going through stress. Mm -hmm. You help remind them of who they are. Okay, mm -hmm. so that so, so number one and number two, it, you want to, to collaborate with. Mm -hmm. Num in number two, you want to be able to stand up for yourself as mm -hmm. well if you're not getting what you were, you were supposed to get. Then there's number three. And number three is win-lose. This is the traditional way. Mm -hmm. the world works this i'd say is more than 50 percent of all the deal makers in the world mm -hmm. they want to win at the expense of you losing you see this in salespeople who promise something and then don't deliver you see this in people you hire uh, or consultants you hire who promise you the world and then can't deliver mm -hmm. they are win lose they believe they have to close the sale to get your money the delivery is of secondary importance so you do not want to do business with these people. Mm -hmm. Then there's the worst type. And these people, you want to avoid them at all cost. And these are people who, um, it's not just win-lose, but to them, making you lose is part of their DNA. They need to see you lose. They need to oppress you. Mm -hmm. There are many horrendous people in the world who are like that. I remember Richard Branson, um, talking about a meeting he had with Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. Donald Trump is one of those people at the last layer. Everyone you see who's done business with Donald Trump says do not work with Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And Branson said he was having dinner with Donald Trump um, and Trump was talking about how people who had crossed him in the past, how he was going to destroy them. Mm -hmm. And Branson said, Donald, do you really need to do that? And Branson said he was horrified. Donald kept bringing up these names, talking about how he was going to destroy this person and destroy this person and mm. destroy this person and destroy this person. And Branson wrote an article in, in the global press saying, please do not vote for this man. That's win-lose. It's, mm -hmm. it's borderline evil. Mm -hmm. But we see this and we see this 
unfortunately in many politicians today yeah but what do you think is the like what's the cure for it or what what makes those t- two types of people or even four so i think there's certain dark personality traits narcissism um psychopathy mm-hmm. that some people are born with just like our bodies can be can have an illness i think our brains and our minds can too and these are illnesses mm-hmm. and while i don't want to judge these people i don't know what trauma donald trump went through as mm-hmm. a baby maybe he was dropped in the head or something but he certainly sh- shouldn't be someone you do business with or mm-hmm. god god forbid elect as president mm-hmm. but th- there's some people also who who are not diagnosed with like let's say yeah. psychopathy but they still choose this attitudes like you have to be aware of who these people are you got to be able to notice the signs mm-hmm. and defend yourself but what makes you choose the win-win like what are what is your experience you like mean what from does an evolutionary perspective why choose yeah, win-win yeah depending on where we are in terms of in, in terms of our evolution as a species i think we are reaching um a point in the world right now where in most scenarios win-win seems to make more sense from a survival point of view mm. it's also the more conscious act right but if you mm-hmm. look at it purely from an evolutionary perspective win lose is not necessarily the best way of guaranteeing the propagation of the species mm-hmm. win lose may have been important during the time when we were hunter gatherers mm-hmm. if you see a a bison and there's another hunter from a different tribe across the 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 prairie also aiming for the same bison you want to kill that bison first or kill that other hunter so you get that bison mm-hmm. because food may be scarce and either his family eats or your family eats mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, so that that may have so win lose may have made sense in the past in today's world it increasingly doesn't make sense mm-hmm. except in these rare cases where someone may suffer from narcissism or psychopathy yeah even then actually it doesn't make sense it's just kind of the dysfunction in the brain <laughs> yeah yeah but but i mean like maybe in war situations or, or right what, like yeah you look at you 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 look at putin putin's the classic example of a psychopath mm-hmm. right look at the sheer amount of destruction and death that he is causing and he's hurting the russian people mm-hmm. um in in profound ways but he's doing it pretty much for this Cra- these crazy nonsensical beliefs he has about his role in the world Russia's past and the belief that he is the savior of Russia mm-hmm. so it's dangerous when large populations select a psychopath mm-hmm. but i think yeah uh, i think it's very difficult for people to distinguish because very in many cultures or or people believe that those are that it's the um, it's it's easy it's like people are educated it's easy if people are educated it's right easier. it it there it's easier right yeah. there are there are there are spiritual philosophers like ken wilber who talk about human development mm-hmm. in in terms of scales so primarily if you look at all human development models we move through four different levels of mm-hmm. understanding our role in the world and with other human beings mm-hmm. at the base level it is ethno it's it's called uh, egocentric Mm-hmm. egocentric is about 2% of the world population egocentric is where you will kill another person for your survival mm-hmm. this happens in prisons it happens in gangs mm-hmm. it happens in really like dangerous societies fortunately it's about 2% of the world population according to Ken Wilber mm-hmm. then there is what is called ethnocentric ethnocentric is 70% of the world population mm-hmm. it means yes you're kind you're 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 noble but that kindness will extend only to people who you see as similar to you So so in other words Europeans will be open to Ukrainian refugees because they are white. Mm-hmm. 
but that boat of Africans that just got turned away from Italy, mm-hmm. no, because they are they are different color. Mm-hmm. That's ethnocentric. Ethnocentric means your levels of compassion have a boundary, mm-hmm. and that boundary is your religion, your gender, your race, your your culture. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest group. That's seventy percent of the yeah. world right now. Now there's a growing group, and mm-hmm. this growing group is called world centrism. Mm-hmm. World-centric people uh, tend to see themselves as more as human beings, right? So world-centric people uh, tend to not pay too much attention to religion or culture. World-centric people see everyone as more or less being um, equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with world-centric people is, in a way, cancel culture and overvokeness. Mm-hmm. You use the wrong word and you're labeled a racist. So mm-hmm. world-centric people can be very judgmental in mm. certain ways. And that's why often in the US you see people saying, I don't want to vote for the liberals, I want to vote for the conservatives, because the liberals annoy me with their insistence that I use certain pronouns in certain ways or that or 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 their accusations of cultural appropriation on something as simple as a Halloween costume. Mm-hmm. Okay, so world centric, that is the dark side. We gotta be aware of that. Now there's a level above that called cosmocentric. This is about one to two percent of the world according to Ken Wilber. Mm-hmm. Cosmocentric is where you feel a connection with all life. Is an if an alien spaceship landed mm. in front of you, <laughs> and this alien got out and he was mm. slimy and he had tentacles <laughs> out of his mouth, you'd probably still go give him a hug because mm. he's sentient. Mm-hmm. That's cosmocentric. Mm-hmm. Now you can identify your leaders based on where they fall in the scale. Mm. Okay, world-centric leaders um, tend to embrace the entire world. Mm-hmm. But so you, you look at President Obama. President Obama. Um, would was was extremely world centric. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember he would wish all of these other cultures. Um, he would send greetings to Iran mm-hmm. on Iranians on, on on Iran's holy day and 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 so on. You look at Trump, egocentric. Trump wasn't even ethnocentric. He was egocentric. It was all about Trump. But the problem is, all of us, because the the, the majority of the population is ethnocentric. Mm-hmm they are equally likely to choose between Obama or Trump, mm-hmm. right? Because Trump is all the way at this bottom. Obama is over here and the population is over here. Mm-hmm. Obama's value system is pulling people up towards world centrism, mm-hmm. which is actually ne- necessary for the propagation of this speci- species. Charles Darwin predicted this in 1872, mm. right? Trump is pulling people, is regressing people. But a large chunk of the American population is ethnocentric and therefore they're equally bound to vote Obama or Trump. Now, back to what Charles Darwin said. In 1872, mm-hmm. Darwin wrote an essay. Darwin didn't just predict where we came from, he predicted where we're going. Mm-hmm. And he says, as man sees that there's advantages to cities coming together into nations, man will start to realize that the further one can diffuse their sympathy, mm-hmm. the more benefits you get. And so he mm. predicted the European Union in 1872. He said nations would come together and once sympathy would diffuse to people across different nations. Mm. And then he said eventually this diffusion of sympathy will get bigger and bigger until we see ourselves as one world. Darwin was literally predicting where we are going. He predicted the European Union. Sadly, this level of expansion has only happened in the EU. You know, mm-hmm. where if you're Polish or German or French, that you you we see our commonalities more. Mm-hmm. We can cross borders without any issue. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the world still has a long way to go. Mm-hmm. But by understanding these models of human development, you start to understand why people vote for Trump, why Ecre got votes. 
it is our job to move as many people as possible towards world centrism. Because mm -hmm. in today's world, the biggest problems that we are facing from climate change to potential nuclear war mm -hmm. with what's happening now with Putin, the only way to solve that is world centrism. Ethnocentrism and God forbid, egocentrism can lead to the destruction of our species. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for bringing light on that concept. That's super interesting. But uh, what do you think needs to happen to get people to this world-centric so, view more? So one of the most important things that we need to, to understand right now is that we're going through a climate crisis. The last eight years have been the eight hottest years on record. Mm -hmm. We are literally, as a species, stupidly on the verge of destroying ourselves. Um, and not just destroying ourselves, but we are destroying nature in a, in a large, large, large way. Um, and we are, we are seeing um, ecological collapse across mm. large segments of societies. For example, snow crabs in, in Canada. There used to be 12 billion snow crabs at the start of the year. Today, there are 2 billion. 10 billion snow crabs basically died because of mm. global warming. We're seeing the bleaching of the coral reefs. We are seeing um, plankton. Um, plankton diminishing and plankton is one of those things which if plankton disappears like a large chunk of the biology of the sea goes with it and if that happens we're talking about global food shortages and so as a species we are operating extremely stupidly yet populations keep voting for leaders who don't get the environment I mean it's only recently that the Brazilians got rid of Bolsonaro mm -hmm. and they had they elected Lulu, who's now committing to protecting the Amazon. Mm -hmm. It's 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 insane. So in a way, I see that the nature has came to come to help people. Actually, like Na it's one of the commonalities the that makes us like awaken. Yeah. On a so so the biggest thing we can do. Mm -hmm. Greta Thunberg said this: the greatest way to solve the climate crisis is not recycling. It's voting for world-centric leaders. It is looking for leaders who have a world-centric view and ensuring that they gain power. Mm -hmm. So I don't care what you think about taxes, don't vote for Republicans if they don't believe in climate change. Mm -hmm. But people still stupidly do that. People, people, rather than focus on this existential crisis, as far as I'm concerned, there's only one thing that should be driving your vote right now. Mm -hmm. Is this going to make the planet better for our children's children's children? Mm -hmm. But no, we vote for stupid idiots mm -hmm. like ECRE, right? Mm -hmm. And they are they are racist policies in Estonia, uh, like uh, certain Republicans who um, whose whole platform is based on open carrying of guns, and 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 who believe that climate change doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of education that humanity needs to go through. Mm -hmm. To me, as far as I'm concerned, I don't give a damn about your economic policy as a leader. Right? Mm -hmm. Economic policy is always going to swing. All I care about is, are you going to move us towards a more sustainable future? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. But I think yeah, I see that people where this awakening can happen is this support from the nature, like in a way the world is collapsing in this sense, like right. waiting for the humanity to kind of open their eyes, like there needs to be some outside push or something, yeah. like some fear has to come, you know. Right. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to touch a little bit on the topic also about what you're speaking, that it's not so much about being a monk and uh, like in yourself in a harmonious state and going in the monastery and staying there but our like kind of dedication or responsibilities to go out in the world and make the change yeah like, 
Yeah, can you touch a little bit on that? So, the philosophy I like to advocate mm-hmm. is that the point of personal growth, the point of spirituality, is not to just sit on your 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 yoga cushion and go within, but it's to take all of this powers that you're developing in yourself to go forth and do something good for the world, mm-hmm. to create, to build, to innovate, to 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 do your part, however small or big it may be, to make the world better. Mm-hmm. That's why my last book was called The Buddha and the Badass. It was mm-hmm. about being a Buddha, being able to go into your spiritual core, but also embracing the concept of the badass, being able to go out there to build, to create, to disrupt. Mm-hmm. And I think it's essential that we have both. So many meditation practices focus simply on the Buddha nature. They focus mm-hmm. on peace of mind, on bliss, on happiness, on gratitude. All of these are great, yes. Mm-hmm. But you also need a, medita- a meditation practice that has you thinking about how you are going to make a contribution to the world. What is the life you want to build? What are the new businesses, products, or services that you want to bring forth? Mm-hmm. That's why my practice, the six-phase meditation, is something that I really believed in and wanted to bring out to the world. Mm-hmm. Because the first three phases are all about present-centeredness. But the next three phases are about disruption and creation. Mm-hmm. But uh, how do you see it? Like, if we go out in the world, like, how do you see Should we, like, put the energy into destroying the old or should we just concentrate on the new? Like, how does the Buddha come in? You know, like, do we have yeah. to fight with the bad forces or no. it's better to... No, Buckminster yeah. Fuller said, when faced with an intractable problem, do not seek to solve the problem. Rather, seek to create a new vision that renders the problem obsolete. Mm-hmm. And so, you want to create a new vision. We can't fight fossil fuel companies, but what we can do is we can invest in alternative energy, mm-hmm. wind, solar, electric cars. We can't fight right-wing nationalist politicians. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is give populations a better vision of the future. So it's not about fighting. Mother Mm -hmm. Teresa, for example, said, I will never take part in an anti-war rally. I will only take part in a pro-peace rally. Mm -hmm. It's not about fighting. Mm -hmm. What you resist, persist. It's about giving people a new vision that renders the older vision obsolete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's important, I think, because I think there's this misconception coming in, like if I'm the Buddha, if I'm fighting and like giving force to the yeah. bad, bad thing, like, but that's not the point. The point right. is to have force and power to do the good and put energy yeah. into like building the new. Right. But uh, let's come to the, your last book, mm-hmm. the six phase meditation. Well, first of all, it's also a book, but can people really like because I've been doing it, like, uh, but yeah. I'm on the Mind Valley app, so I'm doing it through the app. Is there any other way people can actually get access to the meditation? Yes, yes. Uh, the audiobook version ends with the meditation. Mm-hmm. You can also find the meditation on the Mind Valley app. It's free. So if you download the Mind oh, okay. Valley app and you click on meditations and you type in the number six, you'll see it in mm. Russian, Ukrainian, uh, um, English, and so on. And if you. Um, there's a course that comes with it. If you click on programs in the Mind Valley app, and again you type in six in the search bar, you'll see the six phase meditation program. And over 90 minutes, over six days, I take you into deep mastery of the protocol. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you you made this meditation free for people. Yeah, it's on the Mind Valley app. Oh, that's amazing. Right. Yeah. Well, I 
call everybody to go and do the meditation. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. You see again another another aspect of win-win. Like yeah, it's it's amazing. But let's talk about it a little bit. Like how did it come alive? Like what are you using here? Why the so space? Been, so for twenty years, I've been uh, more or less teaching meditation. Two decades, right? Mm -hmm. And I've studied so many different meditation modalities, so many different practices, and then I wanted to construct a meditation for myself, something that I could do every day. And it had to be under 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so I put together all the best, most effective practices that that I studied. Mm -hmm. And this became the sixth phase. Mm -hmm. And then after I was doing it for a couple of years, I recorded a version of it and I put it up on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And it just exploded. Mm -hmm. Next thing I know, so many uh, celebrities and sports people were talking about this in the press. When mm. people would ask them, what do you meditate to? They would mention the six phase meditation. And mm. I started getting all of this press coverage from these amazing celebrities. And so um, eventually I got asked to write a book. Mm. And that's what this is. Oh, that's amazing. So it's been around for a while then? It's been around for 10 years. Oh, wow. 10 years, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's like this overnight success happens right. in 10 years, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> but the book just came out. Yeah, yeah. But can you go a little bit deeper into the phases? So the six phase meditation, like the name suggests, is six phases. These are six things which are so important that we do to transform ourselves as a human being, right? Mm -hmm. The first one is compassion. It is training your muscle for kindness. And everything we've been talking about so far, kindness is a competitive advantage, moving mm -hmm. towards world centrism. The two minute protocol that we suggest in the six phase gives you that. And its mm -hmm. roots come from the HeartMath Institute in Los Gatos, California, as well as Zen Roshi Buddhism. It's a two-minute exercise you do that expands your muscles of the heart. Mm -hmm. And it makes you more kind and connected to everyone around you. The second phase is gratitude. Science says that gratitude is the personality trait most widely associated with well-being. Mm -hmm. And so this is a powerful tool. And this, again, takes two minutes. Then there is forgiveness. This is really fascinating. There's so many studies right now on forgiveness and forgiveness improves your health, your longevity, you sleep better, anxiousness, depression, all disappear. And so there's a forgiveness protocol that's in, in phase three that mm -hmm. teaches you to forgive yourself as well as other people who have wronged you. Mm -hmm. And it causes this, this feeling in you that I call being unfuckwithable. Mm -hmm. It's this feeling of just total comfort in your own skin. Mm -hmm. No negativity can touch you and nothing anybody says can really like hurt you over the long term. Mm -hmm. Now, the first three phases are all about present bliss. Mm -hmm. And now we go to phase four, five and six, which are about future creation, future mm -hmm. innovation. So phase four is future vision. This is where you see your life three years out. And you see it as amazing and beautiful and spectacular as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Then you see your current day unfold hour by hour into the most perfect day. This is called phase five or commanding your day. Mm -hmm. And then in phase six, it's a simple prayer to God. Mm -hmm. You ask God or higher intelligence or your spirit guides, whatever you believe in, to simply bless you. Mm -hmm. Right? And you're essentially saying, listen, I have, I have shown compassion to the world. I've been appreciative of all the gifts that the universe has given me. I've forgiven. I have shown a three-year vision of who I want to be. I've set a vision of how I want today to unfold. Will you bless me? And then I like to fist bump God. Mm. And that's it. That's how it ends. But do you have like a shorter version? I've been hearing you say it's like two minutes, but 
like in the in the app i think the stages are a minutes. little bit longer so in you're the app it's 17 minutes because we give you a little bit more time mm-hmm. to see your to see your life unfold mm-hmm. right and then also the app is guiding you into a deep set of meditation and then bringing you out mm-hmm. yeah. so if you do it on your own you can probably compress it if you do mm-hmm. it on the app i optimized it to 17 minutes because that was the highest degree of comfort for the widest amount of people mm-hmm. yeah, yeah probably in the beginning you need a little yeah. bit longer time yeah do you think there's a difference between compassion and love they are two very different things mm-hmm Why did you choose compassion or can you explain the difference? Compassion is, is well, love from an English language perspective is a very limiting word, right? I'm sure you've heard the Greeks had seven different words for love. Mm-hmm. There's seven, there's so many multitudes of different types of love one can be talking about. Compassion is a way of living life. It's It's a way of living life where you feel kindness and understanding to everyone. Mm-hmm. You might tip a waiter well because you see that that waiter is working hard. Even if the waiter messes up your order, the waiter is still working hard and you you tip the waiter well. You're treating the waiter with love, but it doesn't mean you love the waiter. Mm. So there is an overlap, yes, but these are otherwise two different things. To me, I prefer to use the word love for things which I have a, a connection with. Whether mm-hmm. it's friends or lovers or family or or people I work with, something I have a connection with. Mm-hmm. Compassion is just how you are in the world, mm-hmm. how you show up in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, the, the second phase, the gratitude, is the book going deeper into the... Yeah, the book goes really deep into these, these different phases mm-hmm. and goes really deep in the exact protocol, the science, and how to master it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can do a forgiveness ritual, but you can also master forgiveness. These are two very different things. Mm-hmm. The book attempts to put you on a path towards mastery. Mm, amazing. But about the gratitude, why do you think it's correlated mostly to the happiness? I don't think we know why, mm-hmm. but... Science seems to 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 prove it. Uh, there was a study done that showed that people who express gratitude for 30 days in a row, at the mm-hmm. end of 30 days, were 25% happier than the mm-hmm. control group. And mm-hmm. even nine months out, their happiness levels were still higher, even if they had mm-hmm. stopped practicing gratitude. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a long-term effect. Yeah. Maybe, maybe gratitude is simply telling the brain, well, life is going good. Give me more life. Mm-hmm. And so, And so what is happening is that You're seeing your health go up, your happiness level go up, your biochemistry is adjusting in different ways. Mm-hmm. Gratitude is just such a powerful habit. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that gratitude is the only emotion that doesn't have the polar opposite? Like I heard that this is one, like sadness, happiness, love, hate. Gratitude is like in this sense super powerful that there's right. no is opposite there? to it. Right. Perhaps mm. I haven't thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he shared this with me because, you know, he's yeah. been doing like, I don't know, maybe he's even doctor now in gratitude studies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, so the forgiveness, can you can you touch a little bit more on that? Because you said it's super yeah. powerful. So so in institutes like 40 years of Zen, where they measure the human brain and they study how the brain of monks work. So 40 years of Zen studies the brain of monks who have spent 20 to 40 years in meditating. Mm-hmm. And there are certain brainwave patterns that these brains demonstrate. Um, Left-right brain coherence and high alpha amplitude. So they found that you can map these states on a regular human's brain very rapidly using biofeedback machines. Mm-hmm. But you've got to tell the human being to do something as these machines are are mapping your brain. 
And that thing that they found is giving the best results is forgiveness. Mm. The protocol is you go into a relaxed level of mind and you bring to mind the person or the act that you want to forgive. You could be forgiving yourself for something in the past. Mm -hmm. You could be forgiving someone who wronged you. You see the space. You imagine yourself in a beautiful space. It could be heaven. It could be a living room. It could be the place where the act occurred. You read to the person the charge, what they did to you, and then you feel the pain and anger. Then step five, you see, you try to understand what they experienced in life to make them wrong you. Mm. You try to imagine them as a child. Mm -hmm. What happened to them as a child? Mm -hmm. Then step uh, six, you see it from their eyes. How do they see you and see the situation? So this mm -hmm. is a really interesting like test of mm -hmm. empathy. So okay. and then step seven, you 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 basically um, forgive them, mm -hmm. and step eight, you imagine giving them a hug. Mm -hmm. right? it, but and it might take like several. It could take several sessions yeah. for for something that is really really painful. Mm -hmm. right? Scientists found many interesting things about forgiveness. It improves uh, sleep. It reduces anxiousness. It improves your heart health. It improves endurance. It improves your vertical jump. For some reason, forgiveness has a huge, profound impact what on your... What do you mean by vertical jump? Uh, University of Utrecht found that after you practice forgiveness, you can jump higher. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah after I shared this, <laughs> an Olympian basketball player like reached out to me to find out how he could master forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> Many benefits. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy, the, the benefits yeah. of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It, it came out on your talk a lot of times and it's it's on my heart dearly right now about anxiety like yeah. to because co like collectively we're going through such an anxious uh, times right now do you have any advice or like some tips uh, how to master anxiety the the things that have been proven to help reduce anxiety mm -hmm. are compassion practices mm -hmm. gratitude practices forgiveness practices these are the first three the stages first three of the exactly exactly Mm. Anxiety is 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 hard, mm -hmm. um, but those three practices laid on top of each other have a really profound impact on anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amazing, and the other three phases is concentrating on the future. Yes. So, like you find it really important to have the present practices, the getting calm and forgiving, right. and then the future. Yeah. Why is it important to know the future, to concentrate on the future? Because if I believe that we have two really big spiritual needs. Tony Robbins said this, right? Mm -hmm. The first great spiritual need is the need to grow. And the second great spiritual need is the need to contribute. Mm -hmm. So happiness can be an illusion. You can smoke a joint and get happy. Does that mean that you found the meaning of life? No. So to accomplish our spiritual need of growth, we need a vision for the future of, in terms of who we want to be. To accomplish our spiritual need of contribution, again, we need a vision of the future of how we want to give. Mm -hmm. And that's why you want to visualize your future. It could be the business you're building. It could be the house you want. Because think about it. If you're building a business, if you're trying to get into your dream house, you are growing. You need, you need to grow, if mm -hmm. anything, to grow your business. You need to grow to get the money to build your house. Mm -hmm. But as you build your business or your house, you're also contributing. When you build a business, you're contributing through the products you create, the jobs you create. Mm -hmm. When you build a house, you're contributing to your family by giving them an amazing place to live. You're contributing to your neighborhood. You're contributing to the people who built your house because they're going to earn money for that. And so growth and contribution 
are important for fulfillment. Mm -hmm. If you only do phase one, two, and three, you may be happy. But will you be fulfilled? We don't mm. know. And that's why phase four, five, and six are also important. Mm -hmm. But what's your view on having the goals or it should we concentrate more on who we want to become as a person? So that that's a deep question. Um, Michael Beckwitz talks about the law of resonance. He says the universe doesn't give you what you want. Rather, the universe will give you who you are. Mm -hmm. And so don't go, I want a business that's doing 10 million a year. Rather think about what are the characteristics, the personality trait, the, 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 the mindset shifts that someone who's running a 10 million a year business would have. Mm -hmm. And then you create that identity into, into yourself mm -hmm. by taking the necessary classes, by, being, by, by understanding the beliefs, by hanging out with people who are closer towards that goal. Mm -hmm. He said, shift your identity first and the physical world will follow. Mm -hmm. That's called the law of resonance. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in manifesting? Of course. But there's like some tricks to it, like how to manifest. Oh yeah, there, there's, there, there are, it's, it's not a simple yeah. thing. It's not one thing. Mm -hmm. It's a state of being. It's a set of beliefs. It is a, it's an identity that you take on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you do you use it in your life? Like all the you, time. Yeah. Mm. Is this your tricks? How you're getting out? Because I know you shared also that there, you know there's always ups and downs in life, and also with your companies, you yeah. never know. Like there's some difficult times you're going through. How? What are the, the best practices that got you going and like always get you? Uh, well, the six phase is mm. one, right? Mm -hmm. But there are also other practices that I've started studying and bringing into my life. Um, I write a manifesto right now. I learned mm -hmm. this from John and Missy Butcher of Lifebook. I write a manifesto of how I want my life to unfold three years out. Mm. And I have a Lifebook, a 100-page book of all my goals, all my life, everything that I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I do Mind Valley Quest every single day for 20 minutes. So mm -hmm. I'm constantly learning. And so I invest a good deal of time to ensure that I'm constantly growing and moving forward towards this greater and greater and greater life. Mm -hmm. Do you also have time to relax? Yeah, relaxing is so important. Yeah, I sleep as much as I want. I take afternoon naps. Mm -hmm. I take a lot of holidays. Mm -hmm. So that helps for your yeah. growth. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But uh, do you have a grand plan? Like if I ask you this question, like what is your contribution to the world? Because we were like talking about it. Yeah, Do you mind I want to build the greatest education movement history has ever seen. And I want to get it out to a billion people. Mm. And that's what we're doing with Mind Valley. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That's actually what we've been discussing that people like it's it seems to be like a very big cure if people get more educated in like knowing yeah. what to believe in, not what not to believe in, like getting right. more into themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, having more of the critical thinking in a way. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I have a last question because the podcast is called No Limits. Right. What does No Limits mean to you? To me, No Limits means living a life of freedom and ease and bliss. And practically, you wake up every day with the excitement of a five-year-old. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Lacey. This was fun. Thank you for everybody who's listening and if there were some tips and something that talked to you, please be kind and share. 